We're back with Business Report Weekly, coming in hot off of a great week for the economy. May's CPI data came out slightly beating expectations at 4%, and last week felt like the first good week to be in the stock market in a long time. CPI, or the Consumer Pricing Index, is the main data point used to measure inflation. And while 4% is still double the target inflation rate of 2%, it's a heck of a lot better than what we saw a year ago with 9.1% inflation in June of 2022. Overall, this is good news, signifying that the interest rate hikes, though painful, have been helping to bring inflation into check. Now, one thing I do want to note is that because inflation is measured year over year, this is how much prices have gone up in the last year. This does not mean that prices are going back down to where they were before that high inflation. It simply means that the speed of which they go up is getting more in line with where it should be. If the prices did go down to where they were before, the CPI rate would be negative. That would be called deflation, and while it might sound convenient, it's actually not a good thing for the economy. Now, alongside inflation, there's something else that's been adding insult to injury to consumers, and that is hidden fees. No matter what you're purchasing, it's always frustrating to see a fee tacked on that you were not expecting. Whether it be on your phone bill, when you're buying a car, or an employee health fee on your restaurant bill. That's right, at least one restaurant is now adding a line item on their customer's bill to cover employee health care. But now Biden is trying to put a stop to that. We're not exactly sure which hidden fee was the final straw that got him riled up, but the president is not happy about what he has labeled as junk fees. He even took the time in his State of the Union address back in February to talk about his desire to put an end to these so-called junk fees. And on Thursday, he met with Live Nation, who also owns Ticketmaster, and somehow he got them agree to be more upfront in their pricing starting in September. You know, after the summer concert season is over. So far, the bill introduced to Congress to tackle the same problem has not made any progress, but this is a movement I think we can all get behind. And business owners, don't do this to your customers. They may pay it this time, but it will put a bad taste in their mouth, making them less likely to return. Remember, the more positive people feel when they think about your business, the more happy they will be to give you money again in the future. Now, shifting gears a bit, one of the most controversial things facing the workforce right now is work from home versus in office. This isn't something new that happened this week, but more of an ongoing story that I thought would be interesting to look into. Many companies are asking and occasionally demanding that employees return to the office while employees would really like to be able to continue to work from home. And they both have some good faith arguments on their side. On the side of those wanting to bring workers back into the office, the argument is that it's easier to collaborate and move quickly everyone in one place, as well as it's easier to maintain company culture. Communication that would happen more naturally as coworkers intermingle and discuss things throughout the day require more intentionality when working remotely. But employees argue that working from home means they have far less distractions and interruptions than they would in the office, which allows them the opportunity for more focused deep work. They can save the time and money that it takes to commute to a downtown office, and they can live in a cheaper area instead of having to stay close to work. Of course, it seems like there's some less than positive arguments on both sides as well. Many accuse managers of wanting to micromanage. Some companies and managers are too lazy to simply adapt to new standards and practices for new work arrangements. 
and some of the big companies especially may have even more ulterior motives. Recently, I came across a video on the YouTube channel, How Money Works, that laid out some very interesting theories as to why many companies are demanding in-office work and noted that it may have very little to do with the work itself. This video laid out four main reasons that companies would be demanding employees come back to work in the office that I thought were worth noting. First off, many companies currently need to cut their workforce due to economic reasons, and it looks better to the public to see a company letting people go because they don't comply with a demand rather than having to announce wide-scale layoffs. Essentially, requiring office work is an easier way to get rid of a chunk of their workforce. Second, many companies own quite a bit of expensive commercial real estate and admitting that work from home is here to stay would devalue that real estate. This would lead to companies owning real estate on their balance sheet that not only is significantly devalued, but also couldn't be justified to shareholders because they wouldn't be using it to capacity. In addition to that, many large tech companies take tremendous pride in their over-the-top campuses. The third reason laid out is managers feeling like they need more control as we already covered. And the fourth and maybe most interesting one is that offices can be leveraged as perks to entice employees to climb the corporate ladder. If a company is fully remote, the usual status symbol of better offices for managers and executives disappears because everyone is simply sitting at home on Zoom. This means that companies lose many of their non-monetary bargaining chips and are forced to leverage higher salaries as compensation instead of leaning on status. For anyone interested in diving farther into this, I highly recommend the video from How Money Works and we'll link it in the description. So not every return to the office campaign has pure motives, but there's some bad faith motives on the other side as well. First off, it's a lot easier for an employee to do nearly nothing, spend their day shopping or watching TV and collect a paycheck and get by with it longer than if they were in an office, especially if there's looser management. And though this definitely isn't as common as stodgy old managers would like to make it seem, you would be naive to think that there aren't plenty of people out there more than eager to take advantage of this opportunity. I believe that each side has its pros and cons, and the beauty is that you as a business owner get to build your business in tune with what you want for your life. And if you do it well, you can leverage that to attract employees who are on the same page. I've chosen to build my company fully remote and I love the freedom that comes with it, but I have friends that have awesome offices and I have to admit some days it would be nice to be in the same building as all of my team. Ultimately, I think one of the wildest takes on this subject came from Elon Musk who went as far as to call working from home morally wrong because it's unfair that some people can do their job from home and others can't because it physically isn't possible. Now, I'm as much of an Elon fan as the next, but come on, is a billionaire really drawing the fairness line at working from home? In other news this week, the DOJ's antitrust division announced they will be investigating the PGA and Live mergers. For those of you not following the story, PGA is the long-standing North American professional golf organizer and Live was a new Saudi-backed competitor looking to secure its place in the industry by offering highly competitive deals to many top PGA players. Suffice it to say, there was some hard feelings between the two organizations. But earlier this month, they surprised the golf world by announcing a merger, and now that the enemies have joined the same team, 
they're getting investigated by the DOJ. Which to me seems a bit funny since there was just as little competition before 2019 when Liv started. Also this week, we found out that executives of the banks that failed earlier this year may be losing some salary and bonus money as the Senate is currently working on a bill that would seize salary and bonuses of responsible executives for up to 24 months before the bank they were responsible for failed. I think we've all gotten tired of seeing executives of failing companies walk away with huge bonuses, especially when their negligence affected millions of people's well-being. And it's good to see those tables flip for once. Now, it's not lost on me that two times in this video, I've sided with the government on something they're trying to accomplish. Not sure if they're actually doing some worthwhile things for once or my cynicism has let me down and there's a dark side to each of these stories. So I guess you can let me know in the comments. That's the news for this week. Subscribe and come back next week.